Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It is December 6-ish. It's early in the morning, but not super stupid early because uh, I've learned my lesson. Got to get some sleep. Can't beat myself to death. Can't burn the candle at both ends and in the middle and expect that it's never going to catch up with you because uh, the day before Thanksgiving, I had what was diagnosed as a stress-induced myocardial ischemia. If you're not familiar with what that is, um, it's fucking terrifying is what it is. You basically feel like you're having a heart attack because you kind of are. And again, I don't know shit about cardiac stuff. Luckily, my wife does. Um, and when I asked her, what do I do uh, about the symptoms I was having? She said, we go to the hospital and you get a cath procedure done. Um, and I got it done. Luckily, my heart is fine. Doctor said he wished uh, all of his patients' hearts look like mine. Plumbing is good. But I was told uh, in no uncertain terms to dial it back a bit and take my foot a little bit off the gas. So I will because life is more important than uh, the hustle and I can't help people if I'm six feet under. So anyway, here we are. Lots of interesting stuff going on. Uh, I've been doing lots more sort of podcasts lately with guests. I'm trying to get back to this kind of give and take between some guests and then me talking about the news and things like that because I get a lot of positive feedback and people seem to like it. So this week, I'm going to talk about some of the news that I thought that was uh, of most interest recently. Now, great article in ThreatPost, ThreatPost.com, double extortion ransomware damage skyrockets 935%. Good Lord, that's a lot of percentage. This is by Becky Bracken, December 2nd, 2021. Startling triple-digit growth is fueled by easy criminal access to corporate networks and ransomware RAS as a service tools and analysis found. <clears throat> so it talks about ransomware businesses booming. Obviously, if you want to be in a really good retirement plan, forget your 401k, go start uh, working in ransomware and learn to speak Russian and you can you know, kind of retire wherever you want to. Um, it talks about access to compromised networks is cheap thanks to a rise in the number of initial access brokers and RAS tools. Uh, can turn everyday petty crooks into full-blown cyber criminals in the afternoon with just a few bucks. Uh, this is according to finding from Group 1B's High Tech Crime Trends Report 2021-22. Uh, talks about the unholy alliance between ransomware operators and corporate access brokers, which analysts uh, said has fueled a almost 1,000% spike in organizations that have had their data stolen over the last year. Ransomware groups have increasingly used a tactic called double extortion or totally kicking the shit out of you where they not only steal a company's data, but threaten to publish it to ratchet up the pressure to pay a ransom. So they ransom you and you try and negotiate or you stall or you take your time or whatever else. And they go, you have X number of hours before we go public with this. Mm. And again, death wish coffee. If you're out there, they could use some death wish coffee. The report proves these groups are following through on the threats. Initial access brokerage spike where the past year, Group 1B identified the number of active initial access brokers jumped from 85 to 229. And the sheer number of offers to sell access tripled from 362 to almost 1,100. Good Lord. Now, what does it cite in here is why this is happening? Here's a quote. Poor corporate cyber risk management combined with the fact that tools for conducting attacks against corporate networks are widely available both contributed to a record-breaking rise in the number of initial access brokers. <clears throat> now, it also talks about the growth of phishing. It goes into this and it's got some really good data points in this is I think the real value of this particular report. Um, and it, I, I'm, I haven't had time to go read the Group 1B report, but I will. But initial access, which just means getting in. This is growing, it's exponential, it's tying into ransomware. 
and it ties into this double extortion sort of scenario. So all not good for the corporate side of America. However, guess what? There's a fix for this. Don't be the slow gazelle in the cyber Serengeti. There are ways to not be the easy target. This is one of those things, RAS and initial access brokerage, where they're looking for what? Compromised credentials, easy access, remote RDP sessions, all those things that you could go off and Google and find that things, uh, accesses out there. That's what they're looking for. If you don't want to be one of these organizations, don't be the easy target. And I'd like to remind everybody, there's no perfection. You will never be perfect. You need to be a harder target than the neighbor. And I hate to break it to you, but this is one of those times where it's not about me and you and the rising tide lifts all ships. If it's my business, damn it, I survive because I am the harder target. If you get ripped, then that's a problem, unfortunately, for you. Now, that doesn't mean that I can just walk away and leave you hanging, but I need to, I need to take care of me. And then I'll help you out on the, on the far end once I'm good. I can't bring you along right now. I will get back, and if I'm in that CISO spot, I'll help you out if you don't have that leadership, you don't have that capability, if you don't have that technology. But I got to take care of me. I need to make sure that my organization is the harder target. If my neighbor down the street doesn't have a Doberman and an ADT sign and you know look like uh, somebody you wouldn't want to break into the house and so they get broken into, I'm sorry, it sucks for you. Another really good one uh, on Hacker News, why everyone needs to take the latest CISA directive seriously. Uh, December 3rd, 2021, doesn't have an author listed, just says the Hacker News. Uh, so it talks about what is a CISA directive, gain some context, right? Uh, it goes into why you should pay attention to this. Um, we outline uh, why CISA, oh, excuse me, excuse, let's take a step back and gain some context. Like any organization that uses technology, U.S. government agencies, specifically federal agencies, are constantly under cyber attack from malicious actors from common criminals to enemy states. Okay, duh. As a result, the DHS set up CISA, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. This is the folks you've seen in the news, heard about, Jenna Easterly, Chris Ingalls, all those amazing people, to help coordinate cybersecurity for federal agencies. CISA says that it acts as the operational lead for federal cybersecurity defending federal government networks. But each agency has its own operational technology teams that are not under the direct control of CISA. And that's where the CISA directive comes in. So if you see a CISA directive, pay attention. A CISA directive is intended to compel tech teams at federal agencies to take certain actions that CISA deems necessary to ensure safe cybersecurity operations. The directives generally deal with specific high-risk vulnerabilities, but some, some directives are more general. For example, et cetera, et cetera, outlining specific steps you should take to improve email security. Now, this one that just came out, they're talking about BD22 TAC01, Binding Operational Directive 22 one is a broader directive. In fact, it's very broad, referring to over 300 vulnerabilities. This is a dramatic step for CISA to take. It's not just another run-of-the-mill communications message, is what this article says. With this directive, CISA presents a list of vulnerabilities that it thinks are most commonly exploited within the larger field of tens of thousands of known vulnerabilities. So immediately the real value you get from this is there are lots and lots of vulnerabilities. There are things that come out all the time from all kinds of different organizations that say vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerable. It's crazy the amount of things that are vulnerable. This directive, which is very broad in nature, talks about things that are actually used by the adversary specifically to get at high value federal targets that if they are vulnerable on your organization's infrastructure, you should fix those because they are what will be used by bad guys. You don't use everything all the time. It's equivalent to there might be 10,000 rounds of ammunition laying out in front of me and only 330 of them fit my weapon. 
So those are the ones that I would use. Not everything out there is necessarily bad or going to be used by an adversary. It's the ones that are going to be used. Everyone talks about priorities and risk management, whatever else. Meet the adversary at the door. Use the defenses to stop the exploits that are going to be used. Back to what I said earlier. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect all the time. You've got to have a good defense that will beat the adversary where they are going to attack you. If you can do that, you are becoming a harder target. Examples of vulnerabilities on the list that are most likely to lead to harm if not addressed. Like there's the keywords in this particular directive. Uh, let's see. SAP, Trend Micro, Linux, Apache, except one vulnerability on the list relates to the Apache HTTP server where range of releases, 2.4 versions of the CBE 2019-0211, which we've heard about, allows attackers to start an attack by running code in a less privileged process that manipulates the scoreboard, enabling the execution of arbitrary code with permission of the parent process. What is that privilege escalation? Another example is Atlassian Confluence, a popular collaboration tool which all developers everywhere use. Here, attackers can mount a remote code execution attack by injecting macro code into the Atlassian widget connector. Again, this is a vulnerability listed by CISA because it was deemed it was commonly exploited. So if you have these things, go look at this directive, go download it, go figure out what's in there. It's uh, binding operational directive 22.01. You can get it on CISA. Uh, I believe it's CISA.org. You can look it up on CISA and just look for directives. If you have those things vulnerable, go fix them. Do not be the easy target. Zero Trust 101. <clears throat> Another great article, which I thought was pretty interesting here, um, was published on, let me make sure I have cybernews.com by Anna Jadon. I think I got that right. 02 December 2021. Cybercrime has become a major concern for businesses in 2021, but is it justified? This was interesting because I was like, well, how could it not be justified? In 2021, 86.2% of organizations were hit with at least one successful attack. That's almost nine out of 10 folks. According to CyberEdge uh, Group Research, you look at the Colonial Pipeline, JBS, SolarWinds, Kaseya, et cetera, et cetera, that were continuing to grow. And this is where that number kind of spiked because of all that single provider sort of stuff. Um, so much you write a book about that. Hmm, sounds like something Greg Tuhill and I should write. Anyway, with ransomware costs, et cetera, et cetera. So if you go into there, and this is what I thought was kind of the uh, the, the crux of this report to me. Um, it talks about, well, you know, why does this continue to grow? Why are businesses continuing to get hit? Well, guess what? Perhaps the statistics have a lot to do with three main factors. Media exposure received by major cyber attacks this year are of importance and are basically letting the, the world know that this is a real thing. Insufficient resources invested in online defenses. Yeah. And a new work model oriented towards remote operations. Well, well, well. Well, why would businesses think that it's not justified to have to deal with those? It's not surprising that executives think that ransomware poses the most significant threat to their businesses. In 2022, 61% of the UK CEOs in the United Kingdom are expecting ransomware attacks to surge with 64% predicting an increase in cloud-related attacks. Uh, this also, in this article, talks about predicts 2022 will be the year of the ransomware as a service and double extortion models. Not good. Why are businesses still hesitant to invest in cybersecurity? This is the question. We all know that prevention is better than cure. Duh. So well, then why do small and medium-sized businesses tend to neglect online defenses? Cost. Cost is the biggest issue no matter what security managers say. 
The people who write the checks do not want to pay for security unless they are forced to. There are a lot of organizations where top management does not believe they are a target. Well, you're fucking wrong. All right, let me wake you up there. If you're listening to this or if you're in a leadership position and you think that you're not a target, you are. If you do business online, if you are digitally enabled, if your employees are using the internet, if your kids are using the internet, which unless you're living in some hovel in outer Mongolia, they are, you are a target. There is something that you do that is of value to an adversary. Whether or not they use you or whether or not they're after your data may not be the case, but they might be using you for jumps to other infrastructure. So stop arguing and stop having that conversation anymore or even bring it into the conversation that you might not be of value. If you are online, if you are doing digital business, you are a valid, valuable target. Talks about some Vodafone research that revealed that 1.3 million of the UK's small and medium-sized enterprises would go out of business singularly because of a cyber attack. 1.3 million. So it's 1.3 million businesses that would be crushed if they got hit by a cyber attack. Logically, how can any organization argue anymore that you aren't that you don't have a need to invest in cybersecurity? I don't see how that's the thing. Cost, however. Is interesting that that's the problem. I did a study, I got about 1,300 responses, and budget was the number one issue. Fix your budget. Find a way to move money around rightly or accurately. Rightly is probably not the right word, but accurately or optimally, however you want to look at it, so that you have the money to do the things that you need to do. Cybersecurity, again, like I've said three times already in this one, does not mean you will be perfect. It does not mean you will have the most awesome, super amazing, expensive depth model. You just need to have well-structured, strategically implemented technologies that aren't necessarily the best of breed. Best of breed is sexy. It's cool if you got the money to pay for it. I can tell you unequivocally, the company that I'm working with right now, I can put a cybersecurity platform in place for you and do it at half the cost of the competition. Why? Because it's all cloud and because there is no overhead cost. I don't have any hardware to sell you. That's just the way that the model works. You shouldn't have to pay through the nose and you shouldn't have to be uh, beat with budget in order to be cyber secure. Um, if you are, you're doing something wrong. So know that. Another one that followed up with that, uh, Dragita, I'm not even going to try her last name because I don't want to disrespect it, on cybernews.com. Uh, 6 December 2021, so that's accurate as of today. Only up to 5% of ransomware cases are caused by phishing Tech, and this is an interview that she conducted. Humans are said to be the weakest link in cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. Yet when it comes to ransomware, only 2 to 5% of them are caused by an inattentive person clicking on a phishing email. Now that's kind of interesting, right? According to the FBI, more than 4,000 ransomware attacks occur daily. Yeah. Average ransomware payments increased by 82%, reaching a record high of $570,000 in the first half of 2021. Security experts believe that the level of sophistication and scale of cyber attacks will continue to increase, causing record-breaking financial losses. Sure. Uh, it's no wonder that ransomware victims are less diligent in maintaining good cybersecurity hygiene. Security scorecards data science team subsequently performed a statistical analysis to identify cybersecurity vulnerabilities that are more prominent among recent ransomware victims compared to other organizations not attacked by ransomware. Now, that's kind of interesting because data is always where the truth lies. Ransomware victims have lower scores for several cyber risk factors, principally DNS health, endpoint security, network security, patching cadence, and social engineering. 
Phishing is a way to plant ransomware, but the majority of cases that I've seen, this is a researcher, are coming through the selling of stolen creds. Oh, well, well, well. Guess what? So, yeah. I don't know that I'd necessarily agree with the title of this article. I think it's slightly misleading. Um, yeah, the data is there, but really what they should have said is most ransomware is caused by stolen credentials, period. Not necessarily that only phishing, et cetera, is one where, I mean, I, sure, statistically, I think it's a little bit of fudging the numbers and not necessarily with any malevolence, but just kind of maybe, you know, twisting the headline a bit. But the reality of what you're looking at in this particular report is stolen creds is what actually leads the, to the majority of ransomware, not fishes. So, however, I think if you twisted that and made it a little more accurate, you would look at it and go, well, if most of them are caused by stolen creds, then the other large percentage of there, because it even says right there, you know, two to five, um, is, uh, or excuse me, two out of five is, uh, fishing, fishing plus stolen creds is kind of a nightmare scenario and how many, you know, of those are available right now. I, I think it's a good article. Um, it talks about black matter ransomware. It talks about how other ransomware gangs do things differently, how they choose their targets, etc. Um, and it's, it's worth reading, but uh, not necessarily singularly the most, uh, amazing article it's not well I, that's not fair anyway i just think like the article's headline was slightly off of where they were trying to go with it in my humble opinion now if you ever wanted proof in my opinion and i hate insurance providers i i'll say that openly i think most insurance almost all of it in my opinion is a ripoff it's a business model that's made to you know, take things from people. Uh, if you've ever had to make a claim on insurance, like in what other world would you be able to pay for something that you've already paid for repeatedly? And then when you actually need the service that you paid for, they come back and go, oh, guess what? We're going to raise your bill even after we use your money to pay you back for stuff you paid us for. But you got to have it. So, I mean, I, th I think it's it's just BS. But there's an article in threatpost.com um, Lloyd's of London carves out cyber insurance exclusions for state-sponsored attacks. Now, this is fucking comical. Um, Becky Bracken wrote this November 30th, 2021. The insurer won't pay for acts of cyber war or nation-state retaliation attacks. Hmm. Fallout from nation-state-sponsored cyber attacks will no longer be covered under cyber insurance policies issued by Lloyd's of London. The insurance juggernauts underwriting director Patrick Davidson just released four new uh, clauses outlining these new terms. Now, I'm actually going to read the clauses right here. Uh, let's see. Lloyds.com. Uh, cyber war and cyber operation exclusion clauses. This is LMA 5564, 5565666667. <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, these are pretty comical. So let's go through cyber war because um, this should be worth a good giggle. So war, cyber war, and cyber operational exclusion number one. Again, this is just to point out how friggin' ridiculous this whole cyber insurance market is. Notwithstanding any provision of the contrary in this insurance, this insurance does not cover any loss, any damage, any liability, any cost, or any expense of any kind directly or indirectly occasioned by happening through or in consequence of war or cyber operation. Cyber operation, that's a pretty broad term. Any cyber operation. Do you see how the legalese here is getting into this? And they're basically saying, look here, 
waka 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 we have found a way to screw you out of paying <clears throat> the insurer shall have the burden of proving that this exclusion applies attribution of a cyber operation to a state the primary but not exclusive factor in determining attribution of a cyber operation shall be whether the government of the state including its intelligence and security services in which the computer system affected by the cyber operation is physically located uh, inside of another state. So there actually changes up the wording. Someone wrote this that didn't understand what the hell they were talking about. Pending attribution by the government of the state, including its intelligence and security services, in which the computer system affected by the cyber operation, again, very broad term, is physically located. The insurance insurer may rely upon an inference. Oh, who's inferring? Inference. Who, what? 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 which is objectively reasonable, oh fuck, as to the attribution of the cyber operation to another state of those acting on its behalf. It is agreed that during this period, no loss shall be paid. <clears throat> now I'm almost done here, bear with me. In the event that the government of the state, including its intelligence and security services in which the computer system affected by the cyber operation, again, broad term, is physically located either takes a, a unreasonable length of time to, or does not, or declares it is unable to attribute the cyber operation to another state or those acting on its behalf, it shall be for the insurer to prove attribution by a reference to such as other evidence is available. Now, <clears throat> really, that's a lot of legal stuff. However, having talked to legal people that are smarter than myself, which is not hard, what they're doing here is they're using really broad terms and they're throwing in things like, well, basically what we're going to do is have to know that, you know, you're uh, that the attacker or not know, but we can basically say it with a good guess that your attacker is related to a nation state or whatever else. So here's the thing. Imagine if I'm a bad guy and I mind, I wind up launching an attack at you from some machine that I've managed to compromise in mainland China or in Russia or in Israel, or in, you pick it, any one of those countries that someone could go, well, there might be some intelligence service there that's doing something in there. This is a perfect example of a way for them to screw an organization out of getting paid. And the fact that they say that they can do this until they determine that it takes an unreasonable amount of time, or it's unable to be determined, means they're, I mean, this is the ultimate get out of jail free clause. Like this is, this is absolute horseshit. Um, the, if you read through these and I've read through them all, I talked with a lawyer, I kicked these over the fence to people way smarter than myself. This is a perfect example of how a, a cyber insurance policy and organization is finding a way out of getting stuff paid for. And, and here's the other twist to this. And I'm not being unbiased because I own my own LLC. I went and bought a cyber insurance policy just to see what was actually there. You know how long it took me? Nine minutes. You know what they made me do? signed a piece of paper that said I had security software on my endpoints and on my machines. Did they validate it? Did they verify it? Did they check on it? Nope. 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 Did they send someone? Did they scan my network? Did they do anything to actually make sure that I had some security control in place? Absolutely. Did they even ask me to validate if I had M MFA on my accounts? No. But they sure as hell sold me a policy, which they can find a way not to pay me for. And I, I could care less. Like I, I literally did it just as an exercise in uh, learning what was going on in this market. It's BS. Let's go a little further into that one. The company, Lloyd's of London, explained it will no longer cover losses from cyber war. I just like to say that word like cyber war, which it defined as a cyber operation carried out as part of a war part of a war. Like when I talk to the legal people, the lawyers that I talk with, 
they said that is intentionally used as a very broad term. Any, and anytime you see any in an insurance thing means you're fucked. Any retaliatory attacks between specific states or cyber operation. Again, very broad term, cyber operation. That has a major detrimental impact on the functioning of a state. That's, again, this is just another way to weasel out of what they need to do. Countries specified in the exemption language are China, France, Japan, Russia, the UK, and the US. The insurer's new definition of cyber war leaves plenty of latitude for the insurer to refuse to pay. Hmm. Under Lloyd's explanation, they can also refuse to pay on nation-state-sponsored attack on services essential for a state to function, like critical infrastructure, financial institutions. Mm -hmm. Now, no attribution. Guess who decides whether or not they pay? Lloyd's. Further, the attack doesn't need official attribution to be excluded from the cyber insurance policy. The exclusion documents outline that pending any government attribution, the insurer can decide through inference, which is objectively reasonable, hmm, to attribute cyber attacks to state activities. So if I'm the insurer and this is a multi-million dollar policy and I don't want to pay it, as long as I can make sort of a Kentucky windage guess and put my finger in the wind, yeah, it's probably eh, probably a cyber warfare thing. I don't know. It came the, the server that it came off of was geographically located in, I don't know, the Ukraine. The Ukraine's at war with Russia. So by the transitive property of insurance, um, which I guess is a thing, I'm not going to pay you. Yeah. The narrowing of coverage is in response to evolving threats, increased risk, and a 95% increase in demand during the third quarter, according to someone there at uh, Cowbell Cyber. Hmm. Cyber coverage delivers, I'm not even going to read through that because it's just such a shenanigan. Like it, I, I, small businesses and people that can't afford these big policies or don't think that there's a value, they're not. So my opinion is, and this is Chase's humble opinion, I'm not slandering or liable against any one particular organization. And this is a report that was publicly available with Lloyd's of London's name on it, not me. I'm just saying the cyber insurance market in general is bullshit. Um, just like most other insurance is bullshit. However, this is a special flavor of BS because of the fact that they found a way to legalize their way through this and they know that they can work their way through this process to make sure that they don't pay out. The only loser here is going to be the business repeatedly over and over and over again. And this is not new. This happened to Maersk. This happened to Norsk Hydro. This happened to JBS. This happened to a whole bunch of organizations that when it came time to claim that big insurance payout, guess what? The insurance company goes, nah, nope, sorry. Um, we're not paying that because we don't want to. Um, yeah. Now, look, I'll get off my high horse because people got other things to do. Matter of fact, I think I'm going to have an insurance expert on here with me very soon to talk about this um, and kind of go through that because I think that this is one of the most interesting and critical pieces of what's going on in this market today that we need to cover. Um, it just is... It sticks in my crawl. I think this is a disservice to anyone that's buying this type of system. If nothing else, if you're going to provide me an insurance policy, check that I have a control in place. Scan my network. Like validate that I have MFA enabled. Very simple stuff. Give me a capability to make myself more secure and I'll buy it as part of the policy. But don't find a way to weasel out of paying me because you guys are ripping people off and this is how you operate. Um, and yes, I will openly admit I have, uh, I, I am an aversion to insurance. I think it's in general, just a shitty market thing. Anyway, 
life is great. I'm back to 87-ish percent health, um, hopefully 90 by the end of the week, taking a little time off next week to go be with my family. And, and maybe by then I'll get to 105 and get that like super Saiyan power and go forward. Um, but everything is great. Life is good. Cybersecurity is the most interesting space that there is in technology. Above all, over the holiday season, Merry Christmas and all the other happy holiday stuff that goes on. Be safe, be smart, be secure. God bless. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.